All right, we are live. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to questions you thought never thought you could ask in church. Here we are on this podcast, and what we do is we invite you to text in your questions. The big questions, the little questions, the simple questions, the complex questions, the crazy questions, the straightforward questions, questions about God, questions about Jesus, questions about spirituality, Christianity and religion, questions about how all of it mashes together. Maybe the questions that you're afraid to ask in a church, you don't know who to ask in a church, you don't know where to go for spiritual guidance. Google can be helpful, but not for all things, and maybe you're getting answers that you just don't know what to do with. We are church workers in this room. My name is David Gadini here with Andrew Metcalf, Steve Wells, and Kent Jones producing. Between all of us, I think we've got about like 500 years combined in in, in the Christian church or something like that. And that's surprising because Andrew's only 30. Well, I've been reincarnated three times, so it's true. We've all served in different church contexts, different styles, stuff like that. And uh, with with Steve's past lives, I mean, who knows where we're going. But with all sincerity, you know, we are here to help you on your journey. We are here to... Uh, Take the questions that you might have. This is a judgment-free zone. We don't care if you're Christian or not with the questions you have. They could be questions that are challenging, questions laced with doubt, questions where maybe you're a sincere believer in the Christian faith, just trying to make heads or tails of things. Ask away. That's what we're here for. 815-314-0363. Here it is again, 815 815- Three one four zero three six three. If you happen to be joining us on Facebook through twenty one six the net or through Fellowship of Faith, you can post your questions right there in the comments, and we'll get them that way too. We have got an inbox here today. I am looking at that. I think maybe we can knock out of the park, Andrew. Specifically, the top of this inbox. Um, we, we've got some stuff at the bottom that I want to save for a special future occasion. But uh, let's jump on in. Hey, you think? Yeah, I, I think we ended last episode, maybe? Talking or about was hope, Was it after yeah. the show? I don't remember. No, I think it was the tail end, wasn't it, yeah, Steve? I think so. I think it was a teaser. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so the yeah. note I have... And there's is- nothing lamer than like a teaser that you don't follow up yeah, on. Yeah, right, no, right, I mean, right. Well, <laughs> which we've never done before. I've already found my answer, so never mind. <laughs> Stick around. We'll get to it at 28 after the hour. Right? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> you right got after it. the weather. That's right. <laughs> so the, the note I have written down is go over the word hope. Yeah. Steve has some issues with it. Yeah. So, so take it away. So in my thought process, like when I hear people use the word hope, it's almost as if there's some insecurity or unsureness there. Yeah. Like, well, I really hope. Yeah. You know, like, well, is there doubt in that? Well, so, like it's almost like lucky, wishful thinking. Yeah. How they want to use the yeah, word. Yeah. Right. So, and, and I don't know if that's just the way that I've been surrounded by it or heard people use it. I, I don't, you know, I mean, I don't know what your guys' thoughts on it. No, but, I'm with you, man. I see people use it the same way all the time. Just just generally, not even talking right. about like hope in God, but just it's the way the general word is used, yeah. right? And yeah. so, so, you know, we had the resurrection, you know, celebration of Easter and the resurrection of Christ. And, you know, my hope is in Christ. Yeah. And, you know, to me, if we're going to use it like people today use it, I have an issue with that because yeah. it's like, no, I, as a Christian and as a believer right now, I know that he's coming back and we will be risen from our graves to be with him forever. Right. I know that. Right. So I, I don't have doubt in that. I have doubts in other things, you yeah. know, but hope the way that it's used in its current context in our, in our culture, our society today, 
tends to leave this well there's a little bit of mm, un, un, like i said un, un, unsureness yeah and, and to your point i think what it does is then people do go to like these bible passages that talk about hope and they approach it with that same kind of insecurity or uncertainty going well it's just like wishful thinking here i hope i win the lotto i hope jesus saves me i, yeah. I and, and it doesn't translate yeah so from there then i i kind of had to reassure myself like well, surely that's not, if it's in the Bible and it talks about the hope as far as Christ goes, then it can't really mean that, you know? So yeah. then I look up the biblical definition for it and it changes from how we're currently using it in in our in our current culture. So how did context. it change it? Like how did what you read um, because it's a it's an expectation. Yeah. So with expectation... That makes all the sense in the world. Then. Yeah, I expect yeah. it. I know this. It's like what hope is at its fundamental level is just it's future. We don't have it yet. But what's going to come can either, either be approached with certainty or uncertainty. And with God, it's always certainty. If he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And then, of course, invites us to trust him in that. Yeah. But, yeah, it's not sitting there guessing, right? Or maybe he will or maybe yeah. I'll get lucky. Yeah. yeah. Um. But then that kind of led we so Paul and I so Paul is my Ugandan son who's who's here going to school at MCC and he's taken a philosophy class okay which has been really interesting because we'll get into these discussions and I can tell where he's what conversations they went through during class that day and so mm -hmm. yesterday we were kind of talking about hope and then he's they were talking about miracles and okay. whether or not they had to be come from a divine or a, a divine source. And what your what you consider that divine source to be, and then it kind of led into luck. Um, then it kind of led into karma, mm -hmm. you know, and and chance, you know. If if they just kind of all meld into each other, but or at least that's how. Again, in our current cultural context, we kind of use those all kind of similarly. I guess, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but that's not really the the definitions of them. No, at no, no. all. Right. So it's like it was just a, a fascinating conversation, and to really like just pick apart, which drives my wife crazy. But <laughs> Maya and I and Paul love to just sit here and like go round and round and yeah. really just dive into these things and think about things. And so, yeah, uh, she goes off and does other work while we do this. <laughs> so. so with that being said, she's like hoping for the conversation, she, to end. yeah, right. She, yeah, she's right. well, she's hoping in the wrong way. She's hoping in there. <laughs> uh, so, what are your thoughts about hope versus faith? Chris says. Well, I, I want to before we jump into okay. faith or move on to faith, I just Google the definitions of hope, and I think this kind of expresses kind of what you were saying. So, the first one is a feeling or expect of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen, hmm. and I'm thinking they mean certain by like 100% certain. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think they mean certain at all. I think they mean they a certain mean, like, thing a to happen. Singular thing. I think they're saying that a you're, event. you're wanting this specific event, like you said, Steve, oh, okay. to happen. I don't think it's implying certainty at all in what you just read. Challenge me. It's in front of you. He's, 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 yeah, he's looking, know. he's looking. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, true. well, Okay. Yeah, so I took it as the, I guess, biblical definition that we would say. Andrew, you are just so biblically here, immersed that, I mean, you can't not see through that worldview, you know? A second one here is um, a person, wait, where's the definition of it? Oh, a person or thing that may help or save someone. So that I was viewing as like uh -huh. that, that uncertain. Uh -huh. Well, this might happen. I'm hoping yeah, this will yeah, happen. Yeah. 
Whereas as I was reading the first one, I was like, oh, I'm expecting this thing to happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I think people certainly have different levels of expectation in what they hope for. I, I'm talking apart from like the biblical promises of God and apart from the biblical way of approaching it. But yeah, I mean, by and far, hmm. we throw this word around and you can yeah. we import the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, I like that Steve, Steve commented, today hope feels like wish. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's like a good I'm way of putting it. This to happen. You know, to Chris's comment, uh, thanks for listening today, Chris, and tuning in. I love Hebrews 11. It says, now faith is confident in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, that's a biblical definition of faith. Not the only way faith is used in the Bible, but it's certainly one way, kind of a, a, a general way, where it's it's faith and hope are attached, but they are viewed as different things. Faith is trusting in something where hope is waiting for something. Certainly, there's some overlap in this. And, uh, and, and sometimes I think they can get used synonymously, but I think at some level there is different nuance to each word. So with that, then, you know, I mentioned karma earlier. What are your guys' thoughts on karma? Exist, not exist. Uh, there was a whole TV show back in the early two thousands. My name is Earl all around karma. Uh, <laughs> so that makes it true and yeah. real. Well, I, you say what you want, reap what you sow karma, right? Uh, so the seeds that you sow, you're going to be able to harvest that. Okay, right? so let me challenge that thing. Yeah. The mother that loses her baby, what? why did she deserve that? So what did she do then? If you're saying reap what you sow, mm-hmm. why, well, I don't, why did we, that... Why, why do you think that would happen? Then? What, uh, was she was she sinless and perfect? So is that... So you're saying that uh, sin is the same as karma? Uh, Karma is... But what about the good things that she did? Yeah, great. So, she, and then she reaped those too, yeah. She did. Right. right. Problem I have I with know. it is I think that the way that Western society takes karma today is not the way that it originally was interpreted in Hinduism. Karma is fundamentally negative in Hinduism. You're dealing with past baggage. It's not about getting your just rewards. Now, today with the New Age movement and you know certain kind of um, interest in Eastern philosophy through the Western lens, it's been broadened to be, you know, just, yeah, you, you reap what you sow, you know, or, or you get rewarded for good things, you get punished for bad things, or you got to deal with the baggage. Um, but that's not what it originally meant. And that, that's almost like a fusion of Christian reap what you sow, you know, which you, you see that in the Bible um, over and against, you know, an Eastern philosophy that's rooted in something else. Mm-hmm. And, and karma fundamentally is, is past life regression where you're dealing with issues not just now, but things hypothetically in previous lives that need to be cosmically worked out before you can go be one with the great Atman and, or, you know, the Brahman, I guess I should say, and uh, or Nirvana through a Buddhist lens, mm-hmm. if you want, or however you want to phrase that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So then I, it's about- also not divine. Right, and that's right. a mistake in Hinduism either. It's just, well, karma is the idea that the universe is just keyed this way mm-hmm. and you just got to kind of work through your baggage. It's impersonal. There's no one kind of imposing it on you or, or operating a sense of justice. It just is. It's kind of that law of equal and opposite reaction. Uh, a little bit, but in Hinduism, uh, you know, it would be just negative, <laughs> equal and opposite reaction. But yes, balance until you're back to the great one well and i think i think we as humans want to be able to justify what happens so that makes sense of that, what happens right. so that's yeah. where karma comes in to your example uh, why you know i have no idea why god 
allowed that to happen or that was written that way. And but, she may not have done anything, but, but, I, but I we think, try to wrap our head around it. Yeah, and so therefore I think I don't know that God has that God created karma. So I, I don't think that he um I don't think he will I don't think he, I, I don't from what you just said I took that as well then if you don't know why God chose to take the baby away. Well, God is not karma. God doesn't say if you do this then you'll get this. That's prosperity gospel. Right. Right. So and that's not necessarily karma either right, i mean right. i think that's a but different karma is, there's similarities but they're right. not the same right yeah right but i think karma is our way of saying i can't blame god for that or so why you're saying I? that karma the way that we use it now is more man-made thinking yeah. okay yeah, yeah. Okay. I, hey i i uh you know i uh, you know the end justifies the mean kind of yeah. is what karma is now. which doesn't necessarily make it true right yeah right okay i'm following all right. Hey, let me take a couple of our Facebook questions coming in live. One, I want to get up to uh, to Bill, who's tuned in today. Thanks, Bill, for listening. And he's just asking any thoughts on why Mary didn't recognize Jesus after his resurrection. You can read this in Revel uh, John chapter 20. And Mary's at the tomb, the empty tomb of Jesus, weeping. And then she sees Jesus and thinks he's the gardener. And it's not until he calls her by name that she has this recognition. And there's a lot of kind of like theological speculation about this that's interesting to read, but the Bible itself doesn't say why. Who knows? Maybe it's just sleeplessness. You know, maybe she's up all night and not kind of seeing straight. But you do get kind of this, this sense that like early church thinkers kind of teased out that, man, it just kind of seems like Jesus was veiling himself. You see this in Luke when he's walking on the Emmaus Road. Uh, with these two disciples as well. And they don't like really recognize him until he's doing like the, the whole communion Eucharistic kind of thing, breaking bread. And they're like, Whoa, it's Jesus. So there's something more going on there that people have speculated than I think just the sleeplessness thing that I've said earlier, yeah. but it really doesn't say, and that's why Christian writers have liked to write about this for 2000 years and kind of guess at different things. And you can kind of search some of that down and, uh, and get into their headspace and see what, tends to hold water and what doesn't for you. But it's, it's kind of cool and, and kind of interesting about how you can um, maybe get a life lesson here that God can be right before your eyes and you don't even recognize him. Um, something for all of us to learn in that. Yeah. Well, I kind of look at it too, like she was looking for the dead Jesus. <laughs> well, right. Yeah. I mean, she went yeah. to the tomb looking for a dead body. Yeah. And you're going to, you know, your humanness is going to be like, what's going on? Where is he stolen? What happened? What is going on? And, you know, when you turn and look, you're like, that can't be, you know, because you're still looking for a dead Jesus. And I think a lot of us walk through life looking for yeah. it. Well, put yourself yeah. in that time, Jesus. you know. It's not like yeah, hygiene yeah. and cleanliness was a huge thing, right? Right. <laughs> so, you know, I would imagine, like, you go to heaven, and I would imagine, like, you're going to get clean. Yeah. You know, yeah. so you come back. If I still need deodorant in heaven, man, this not, is, you know. <laughs> you're not looking the same. Your hair's right. flowing nicely. Right. Right. And it is, and it's all this kind of, like, what does that mean between our resurrected body versus our body now? There's certainly continuity, you know, and you see plenty of that with Jesus himself, but also this discontinuity of sorts where, yeah, yeah it's, it's wild. Probably it's the wild. closest you'll come to that is like an Instagram or, or a Snapchat filter. <laughs> filter yeah. yeah. It takes away wrinkles, puts a halo. What's above. your resurrected filter? Are you, are, are you like the cat face or are you? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Cat face. The dog one with the long, with the long, yeah. yeah, or just sepia tones, you know, or something. Yeah, probably hearts, hearts popping, hearts out. popping out. Yeah, right. <laughs> Unicorn horn. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing you the resurrected yeah, state, brother. Good. 
right? Yeah. Maybe right. you can swipe through different ones depending <laughs> on your mood that day. Right. You know, Kelly, I think commenting on our uh, our conversation about karma says, I keep running into people talking about multiple lives, keep coming back to fix what is broken in this life again in another life. Where did this come from and why is it a cultural belief today? It comes from this idea of karma. It comes from Hindu philosophy. And, you know, East has met West. East has met West in the past, you know, 70 years, um, especially. And uh, humans since the beginning of time have been combining belief systems, trying to look for a cohesive, unified theory. Um, intentionally or unintentionally. And I think you see that a lot in the West today where people borrow and choose from different religious beliefs and persuasions and kind of amalgamate it all together. And uh, I think that's where past life idea has really crept into the mainstream today. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Great question. Great question. I think the one following that is interesting kind of flows from that. Do you think before you're born or incarnated, you and God work together to decide who your parents are? Uh, what lessons and paths you could choose, basically make a blueprint for life to follow. You, you, you know, if you're Mormon. So is there kind of human input in that? Yeah, if you're Mormon, kind of, sort of, yes. Um, in Eastern philosophy, obviously, you know, you've been in existence pre, pre your life now. And, uh, and who knows to what degree? I mean, there's a lot of, did you ever see the movie Dead Again back in the 80s? Great movie. Uh, it's actually like a little known Robin Williams movie. And kind of like Robin Williams playing a role that was out of sorts for his typical kind of like giddy slapstick, you know, manic kind of comedy. Mork and Mindy. If you will. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, but it's basically about this. And I'm not going to say more because it has an 80s tone to it, but underrated movie. Um, A lot about that. From a Christian perspective, no. From a Christian perspective, you are created. You are not eternal. And that you did not exist before the foundations of the earth, that you arguably came into existence either by God creating you when your parents conceived you, or quite honestly, your parents just conceiving you, body and soul, all together, which is where I lean in it. And uh, that, that there, there wouldn't be that in a Christian way of thinking. There's a, there's a, a fundamental distinction in Christian way of thinking between the immortal and the mortal, God being that which is immortal and us being created creatures, if you will, who don't kind of share in the divinity of God, um, certainly before we were created. And and very loosely, you got to be careful in the way you talk about it, even Christian ways of thinking after you're created. So so yeah, thanks uh, thanks for asking, Jen. Uh, great having you listening today and appreciate the uh, appreciate the question. Hey, let's hit uh, hit to inbox because I got kind of like a, a private agenda in this way. I want to kind of get through <laughs> oh. some of these these inbox questions Sweet. for, for Next things coming on the show. You never thought you could ask. I know my dad, I know my dad sent one in. <laughs> all right. We, oh, okay. we're so not, we're, he's, we're, like, he's like, how come you didn't answer my show last week? I, I sent it in. All right. So my question every question, cause we don't know, you know, we don't record the numbers here. We yeah. only get a cell phone number when people text in, unless you give us your name, we don't know. So every question we got to ask Steve, do you think that's your dad? And we're going to see how this goes going further. Let's see what this one goes. Uh, when the Israelites were wandering in the desert for 40 years, they nope. were, <laughs> uh, you disagree? No. Uh, they were led by a cloud uh, by day and a pillar of fire by night. What are your thoughts that the cloud by day was the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I, I think uh, it, it totally was the Holy Spirit. The Bible itself will even comment on this. Now, look, th- there was a physical, physical, tangible cloud and a physical, tangible pillar of fire. I am not saying that the Holy Spirit is water molecules, but the way that like Exodus 13 will comment on this, and let me just read this to you. By day, Yahweh went ahead of them 
in a pillar of cloud to gather them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire. So somehow in the physical substance, God was present doing it. And I just kind of be, I'm just kind of sifting the language here a little bit because sometimes I think in a pantheistic worldview, people will go, well, the table is God. The microphone is God. The air is God. The, the, the biblical conception of God is not pantheistic. And yet God can take root in physical substance and does all the time. Um, and that's one great example of it. So, yeah, maybe, yeah, you're on the right track there. Great question. Maybe God was vaping. Vaping. Just, yeah. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Olympus. 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 That's cloud. That's sweet. Yeah. Great yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the question for next show, right? right? If God was vape, what flavor would he be? <laughs> right. right, right. And how much nicotine would be in that? That's right. <laughs> All right, next one here. We'll see if this is from fire away. Um, I, I think this, this came in a few weeks ago. Have you noticed that pot pauses your spiritual lessons? <laughs> Talking uh, about vaping, right? right? Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, you, you're, you're anticipating yeah. it, right? Yeah, I see. think that was the Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they go on a little more. It's like a, a block or a way to slow down the lessons. Uh, I'm asking you to understand deeper. I don't know how else to explain this. <laughs> um, so I think that idea that it slows your brain down so you can think more through yeah, is it good things? to use in like yeah. like meditation or, or a spiritual connection with god or things like that i mean I, I can't speak for the effect it has on everyone but arguably it certainly does slow you down um and of course there's been cultures you know i think in native american religions and animistic religions that have used you know i mean the joke today peyote and stuff like that but have okay. used hallucinogenics and have used chemical substances as mechanisms and means. You see the Bible going a different way on that. And here's just one little kind of almost throwaway verse you'll find by Paul. Um, I think it's in Ephesians, but don't quote me on that, where he'll say, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with spirit. And it's almost like he's setting up as this contrast of spirits versus the spirit, right? Um, you, you never see in Old Testament worship or in the New Testament community, a gravitation towards what I would call mind-altering substances as a form of worship. Now, I know someone who's on their game might be listening today going, well, wait, hasn't the Eucharist always been center to Christian worship, and doesn't the Eucharist use wine? Well, yes, it does, but not for that not a purpose. And so I would be very um, cautionary against going that route. And simply put for the reason being, I think fundamentally what God wants us to do is develop the practice of being able to slow our mind or to focus or to concentrate without dependency on a chemical mm -hmm. substance. And certainly we all know that if we take caffeine, maybe it keeps us awake and, and maybe we get a productive Bible study out of it, but maybe it's better, and I'm not even condemning that out of hand, but maybe it's better to learn, hey, I don't need caffeine to have time with God. And how does God want me to approach life maybe in a way of mastery over myself rather than dependency on things to foster that connection? So so I, I, would, I would caution kind of staying away from the, the whole marijuana is the necessary tool. Mm kind of path does, does that make sense where i'm going with this and yeah and i think and why? I've, I've heard of uh authors and writers and other things like that using like <clears throat> oh like i can't write unless i'm smoking nicotine or something like that. right it's, right or can't you can do yeah and well okay i mean i'm not gonna argue 
with you on that, but how do you work through that issue? Yeah. You're like, you probably can. And all the more so with God. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I've noticed with, with mine, even just like my prayer life, I have to write it down. Otherwise, if I'm praying in my head and in my mind, it, I do jump to 10,000 things, yeah. but if yeah. I'm writing it down and focusing on that, that allows me to stay in one train of thought. Um, so maybe that's a, a, a different option to think about of, okay, can I be writing this down or having the conversation with someone rather than just trying to think through it in your head or you got read it in your Bible and then think on it, try writing about <laughs> it to maybe stay focused. And I would also say this just as a word of caution, never make the mistake of equating some altered state of consciousness and what you see there with God. Um, you know, someone on an acid trip, someone using a, a hallucinogen. I, I even really liked how um, a recent movie, Jesus Revolution, did this, where you saw people coming out of um, not only the hippie culture, but the, the, the philosophy that surrounded the 60s in so many ways and seeking the hallucinogenic experience as a way of opening the mind and, and discovering new levels of consciousness. And, and you see this throughout Christian history that people who are engaged in this, this movie being one good example of how, um, and I just lost the, the brother's name, um, uh, the, the pastor over at Vineyard who... Greg. Uh, Greg Laurie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's always a stepping away from that to God not equating that experience with God as people come to Christ. Yeah. So, well, and a little secret, I come to this podcast in a state of mind alteration. Uh, we've well, always suspected because yeah. I like I like to slow things down. You speak very quickly. Yeah, so you drink coffee constantly. Well, yes, and your nicotine <laughs> and tablets nicotine on top tablets. of it. You know, you are so wired. This is going all That's over slowing you down. Uh, Woo. Well, you never know what you're going to need. <laughs> <laughs> be prepared for all circumstances all, all things no i do have a, a good friend of mine who is in the nfl or was in the nfl is now gone but it is true that a lot of the nfl players smoke weed mm. because it does slow them slow their their mind down so it slows the game down it doesn't slow their athletic ability down but it slows their mind down which is fascinating because you know you think you're typical guy on weed and they are kind of lethargic and well, slow. I think depending yeah. on how much yeah, you're at least stereotypically, yeah. you know, is that the Hollywood? What is the strength? You yeah. know, well, how much are you? Of course, if you're gonna get just ripped out of your mind, you're probably not gonna go out there and succeed. You're not gonna yeah. be sprinting a forty right. and <laughs> five seconds playing in the grass. You know, <laughs> no, I'm not recommending it. Right. I'm not saying that's what you should do. I'm just saying that's no, but an observation of yeah, yeah. So, all right, let's keep going. Um, here's one that I found interesting. In the Catholic faith, the clergy hold the right to discern whether someone's dream is from Satan or the Holy Spirit. What exists in Lutheran faith to help someone decide where the dream comes from? Lutheranism historically, unfortunately, does not put a lot of stock, emphasis, or thought into this. Um, there's always been a certain, what I would say, um, phobia towards personal experience as a revelation of God and the Lutheran faith. The, 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 the nuance of the Lutheran faith is always to look external for certainty, never to look internally. So even when Lutherans historically have talked about faith, it was never faith as it exists in its own right, as though the quality of my faith or the sincerity of what I believe or the strength of what exists inside me by what we call faith, but rather looking just to kind of something outside of them, namely Christ going, 
to your point earlier, Steve, I'm putting hope in that, but the hope is a certainty and a promise going, I might not feel it. It might not seem true. I might not be experiencing it. Who cares? God said it. I'm planting my feet in it and just rolling the dice, you know, come hell or high water, so to speak. So, so, and I say it's unfortunate because I love the nuance that the Lutheranism brings to what I would call the, the, the panoply of orthodoxy called the Christian tradition. And we need these different nuances from different faith traditions, but it's sadly often left too many Lutherans throwing the baby out with the bad wa- bathwater and rejecting things like dreams completely. So mm-hmm. I would say this, you know, maybe God's given you dreams. Maybe he's given you visions. Maybe you're wondering, is this from God? As a Lutheran, what I would say is test it against the word of God. And if there is anything going contrary to the word of God, nah, nah, don't put stock in it. Now, if you find things that are congruent with the word of God, then don't make it the primary source of your faith, but praise God that God is doing something in your life or you've been able to experience something that has been able to make your faith and your hope richer and and more vibrant and draw you in closer. What, what, what a gift to have, however it's come about. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, one thing in this question, it seems to kind of set up a dichotomy as though there's only two options, like all dreams are either from Satan mm-hmm. or from the Holy Spirit. And I would venture that a majority of them <laughs> yeah. have nothing to do with either. either. Yeah, good, good point, uh, that's Andrew. just how our good brains point. work yeah. and we don't quite understand it. Yeah. Um, so while I think that there could be some validity to sometimes one or the other, you bet that doesn't you necessarily bet. apply to all. Yeah. All dreams. Okay. Well, hold yeah. on. Let's get off that paper for a second because we've got some really cool, interesting questions, comments here. Ted says, "I have disabled, and for some some reason, every Catholic priest has told me that my birth defect was created by the devil. Therefore, God couldn't have created me." What are your thoughts? Wow, Ted, I mean, just thanks for for putting yourself out here, landing on the line, the vulnerability in this, and so on and so forth. Um, I I would disagree with these Catholic priests who are telling you this. Could, hypothetically, your birth defect been some kind of instrumentation by the devil? Well, when we're talking in the realm of possibility, I can't say no matter-of-factly, but I don't believe that's what's happening here. Um, I don't see that kind of thing being the biblical trajectory. I think the birth defects and the the, the corruptions of our human selves um, that we face, and by corruptions, I mean not, not the totality of what God wanted the human experience and body to be, um, are all a result of living in a corrupted world. But I think it's a mistake to always then make that an equation to, well, I must have sinned in this way. Therefore, this is my punishment, or this must be a spiritual attack. Sometimes it's just the aftermath and the aftershock of living in a world that's fallen from God and the things that we face that are almost what we would call randomly. And this happens a whole heck of a lot. So regardless of the source of how it comes, Ted, know this, God loves you. God's died for you. God is looking to redeem this world, and that includes our fallen human bodies and whatever your defect might be. And being able to put your hope in the God who comes to the widow, the cripple, the orphan, and um, the New Testament move towards those who face all these kinds of maladies and, and come up against all these kinds of things, take hope in the God who has promised redemption from that. Because I, And I don't know the nature of what you're facing, but freedom and liberation and redemption in a resurrected body from that someday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you go down that rabbit hole of is it the devil or not? You never really 
No. Well, At I the think- end of the day, period. Even if you see like the floating head of Satan like appearing before you and like the walls bleeding and stuff like that. Right? Yeah. Well, and that's a, st- a scary statement in there that therefore God couldn't have created me. Yeah. It's like that's a that's a scary thing to be told by a you know, religious leader. <laughs> it is. And, 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 and Ted, I, and thank you, Andrew, for catching that. Cause I got so fixated on the first half of that question that I didn't get to that statement. I also think I like to challenge people when they say, why did God create me this way? Or God didn't create me. Or even on the other side, God did create me. No, Ted, your mom and dad created you. My mom and dad created me. And ultimately we know that our first parents, if we can use that, are Adam and Eve. But I think we still live with a stork mentality, that, our, that our, our parents had sex, but then God brought the spiritual stork from heaven and implanted it in this, this mm. you know, embryo growing in mom's womb or something like that. Mom and dad created you. Mom and dad created me. That's why mom and dad's genetic deficiencies are inherited in my body as they are in yours and yours and yours. But God loves what your mom and dad created. God loves you and knew what your mom and dad was going to create before the foundations of the world. But keeping that step in between is important in times like these because it it avoids the whole pitfall of going, geez, did God just like kind of get the genetic code wrong? Did God mess up? Or did God have a deeper plan and so he afflicted me with this? Think about it this way instead. This is what I'm facing or afflicted with. And how do I bring glory to God in that? And knowing that God can redeem me and the entire situation, working good out of whatever evil or malady that I have to face. Well, and I think it also brings the idea, you know, we, God created us in his image. Okay, well, if that's the case, then I don't know that it's the physicality of that. Like we, a lot of times we we fixate on what is the image of God? And if he created us in his image, well, I think a lot of times we th- we think about the physical the physicalness of it yeah. versus okay, so what is he talking about there? Right. L- let me hit two things on this because I, I and I'm not saying from you, but I see this thrown around and misunderstood a lot of times. In Genesis one, God says, "Let us make humanity in our image." So, in the image of God, He created them, male and female. Great, but then you jump to Genesis five, and this is what it says. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them Adam or Adam, which means human, uh, when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and named him Seth. I am in the image of Oliver Gadini and Janine Luster, who are in the image of you know, yeah. Olivio Gadini and Marion Christ, who are in the image of blank, who are in the image of blank, who are in the image of blank, all the way back to Adam. Now, now God is there in the beginning. And the second thing is, I think that, and man, that's going to be a rabbit trail, but <laughs> I think that the image of God is misunderstood. And I do think there's some characteristic things there, but I think it's more fundamentally a calling and a job description than it is a shared biological trait with God himself. Right. Um, God saying, I'm appointing you for this to be in my image is to reflect my rulership, my dominion, my creativity, my et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which would so, have nothing necessarily have to do with a birth defect. No, at all, at all. Yeah. That's where you I got it. it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thanks for thanks, Steve and Andrew. Thanks for catching that in the question here today, Ted. We hope that's helped you out, or at least maybe encouraged your thinking along certain other paths, even if you still have to kind of wrestle with it um, and work through the details. Um, uh, let, this, this next one back here to, back to inbox. So yeah. many. No, <laughs> I know. This, I know. This next one here deals with creation, so I think it flows well from what we were okay. just talking about. Uh, what can we? What can be concluded? from God not saying on the second day of creation that it was good. Some writers speculate this was the day angels were created, including the devil. Uh, what are your thoughts on this speculation? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. You know, and I saw this one coming ahead of time and it kind of threw me because I didn't realize this myself. And then I, I, I fact-checked it and yeah, the second day of creation is the only day where it doesn't end with God going and it was good. And I, I did a quick little search into some commentary literature and didn't see anyone addressing it and had full intentions to take this one deeper. And then it went completely out of sight, out of mind. So with that being said, I can't really answer this one intelligently right now. I do want to do my own research into it because I'm sure there's all kinds of rabbinic speculation on this and probably later Christian speculation you on it as speculate well. speculate on the speculation. But <laughs> what I would say is, I think it would be wrong to say that somehow this was of the devil. That just doesn't fit with the flow of the Genesis 1 narrative as a whole. And even in Genesis 6, uh, Genesis 1, when he comments on the whole of creation, God looks at the whole thing in its totality and says, it's very good. So believe me, and I can make a number of guesses about where the speculation is going to go with this because of the belief systems that those who are speculating are starting from, which I think are, are bogus to begin with. Um, but it is kind of an interesting oddity in the flow that might have significance or that might just be chalked up to, I mean, just the author didn't include it and it wasn't even on his mind. The stuff like that happens. But, but I do want to dig deeper into this. It's but fascinating. Sin, had, sin hadn't entered the world. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, and even if evil, the devil is an existence, um, did evil exist? It, 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 does that mean it's tainted the, God's creation yet? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. is God's creating no, the world. I mean, the what happened with Adam and Eve, they started seeing good and evil like God. So it doesn't mean that it wasn't there beforehand, but either we weren't privy to it or conscious to it. And it but wasn't it tainting it, the creation it, yeah, it yet. Wasn't, it, creation wasn't under God's Earth. curse. So that's yet. A, yeah. But that's yeah. only earthly. Well, okay. <laughs> here, here's where I want to go with this. And here's why I think there's speculation on this on day two, because on day two, what God does is he separates water from water and he calls the one water sea and the other water sky. And you might remember in the creation account of Genesis that it, 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 it arguably starts with what it calls waters. In the beginning, God's create, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was was tohu vabohu is how Hebrew will put it, because it's just a great phrase, okay, yeah. which means formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the deep. Well, what are we supposed to understand by those waters? It's not talking about the water molecules today. It's leaning into ancient Near East mythology. In an ancient Near East mythology, creation was formed out of a chaos, and the sea or waters, and, and I'm not talking biblical, I'm talking like the Canaanite mythologies and you know, the Sumerian theologies and all these kinds of things you can read. It, it was birthed out of these chaotic primeval waters and abyss, if you will. And you can look at an ocean and go, look, it's always shifting. The color's changing. It's deep and scary. It's unknown in its depth. You can see why people associate the sea in an ancient mythology with the abyss, yeah, though knowing they're not one and the same. It's never ending in its vastness. 
to yeah. people at that time. And in, in one of the mythologies, there's even an ancient creature called Tiamat, who was slain by the god Marduk, who creation come out of. And there's etymological roots between Tihamat and Tohu, with a Tohu, a Bohu, which most biblical scholars don't put a lot of credence into. But but it's been suggested. So those who are looking at those connections are kind of going Hmm, is there kind of like this ancient Near East Canaanite thing? Water is evil, and that's why it's not good when he's creating water from water. Is there a little nod to this? Well, I don't think so. Um, but that's where I'm speculating that some are speculating that it might be coming from, but it's not the direction, certainly not the theological mooring that the old Testament record is planning itself in. So, yeah. So I kind of look at it. Uh, you can have a great artist who can do eyes and, you know, a nice face, but has trouble with the hands. Doesn't mean the hands are bad. Just maybe at the end of the day, he was like, eh. <laughs> it's not my best. <laughs> not my best work. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You, know I, you know what I mean? It's not bad, but eh, it might've been able to. All right. Well, All right let's keep working on this. Yeah, yeah. Let's adequate. attack this tomorrow. Yeah. It's beta. You know? <laughs> Let's attack this tomorrow. That's great. That's <laughs> great. Kind of the, the first generation of AI images. Right. Sometimes they mess up the hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, All right, what do we got, Andrew? Yeah, next one. Going into Gnosticism. Which goes hand-in-hand hand with some of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could you explain the highlights of Gnosticism and what about it was heresy? So Gnosticism was a belief system that got really prevalent in the second century AD. It still exists all the way to today. And I believe on 21.6 The Net, there's actually a, a show that, that's led by a Gnostic Christian. Yep. So it's never really gone away. But it was really, really prevalent in the second century AD. So we're talking the hundreds AD, like right after the apostolic era. And, and you see the seedbed of it in the time of the apostles as well. So Gnosticism comes from a Greek word, gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, -S, like gnosis. Um, so it's gnosticism, but no one says that, right? Mm -hmm. And what it basically means is it translates to knowledge. And in a very, very overly simplistic way of approaching it, the idea is this. The salvation that God came to bring through Jesus wasn't fundamentally by something or the work he did on the cross. The salvation God came to bring through Jesus was secret or special knowledge. And by being brought into that secret or special knowledge, you are therefore enlightened, know the secrets, and therefore have translated um, into a different level of enlightenment. So you can hear some Eastern ways of thinking, even in that today, as, as your Eastern yogis and Eastern belief systems are always looking for enlightenment and knowledge as a way to kind of become one with the universe. So Gnosticism at its, at its base form was really kind of a fusion in its day of Greek philosophic thinking, specifically Platonism, along the line, uh, fused with um, a, a lot of pagan practice, in its day, the Greek gods and things like that, and then fusing Christian thinking as well, and it became an amalgamated form of it all. There's a lot we can get into with Gnosticism, but I don't want to make this like a 30-minute show on Gnosticism. So, so that's in, in a nutshell. And the early Christian thinkers rejected it primarily on a few um, grounds. One is, well, wait, you're undermining the vicarious work of Christ on the cross, what God accomplished through you through his action, 
as opposed to an invitation to special secret knowledge. That was issue one. Issue two was that in Gnosticism, reflecting Platonism, is there was a strict delineation between the spirit and matter, with the idea being that spirit is good and matter is at best corrupt and at worst evil. So, God could certainly never have taken on human form. That would be taking on something corrupt. God could certainly never have created the universe. It had to be an underling because God would not lower himself that much. And so it was a rejection of the matter and therefore of the incarnation that they went, no, 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 this is not the biblical picture. Matter is good. Genesis 1 is good. Water is good. Sky is good. And Jesus, God was incarnate in human flesh, and that's good too. So things like that, and there's more we can talk about, but that, that's the heartbeat of it all. Yeah, hope that helps. Um, let's see here. We got 15 minutes left. Uh, if no, I got to save one minute for my dad's question. Yeah, have you? Have you I, I know what question it is. was the Gnostic one. No. Right? No? We haven't got to Okay. Know. Okay. We're getting we're getting closer. All right. Uh, let's All see. Right. If a child dies and goes to heaven, will they stay as a child or will they grow into an adult? That's my dad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have found Steve's dad. All right. Well located. The, the Bible doesn't say. I love this question, and I love the questions that I think we all have trying to figure out what is the new heaven and new earth going to be like? What is heaven going to be like? And by the way, I am translating heaven here to new heaven, new earth, because when you go to heaven, you don't have a body. Um, when God comes and resurrects us, will it be as a child or as a, um, in your prime. a, a grown prime. adult in your prime? It just doesn't say, but wherever it happens to be, it's good. Yeah. If an infant dies, does an infant come back in human, uh, you, you know, in infant form, but then continue to grow? I don't think you're forever destined to be in infant form. And so what does it mean to age thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years without decay or entropy? That's fascinating to think about that. You just keep getting more mature, more wise and stronger without all the concomitant weakness that comes along with it. Um, I think J.R.R. Tolkien has done a great service to Christian thinking um, in, in, in The Lord of the Rings just by what he does with the elves. Yeah. Because the elves live to be thousands of years old, but don't suffer from human decay. So you just keep getting better and better. Mm -hmm. you know. And, and with that, wiser and wiser. Um, is heaven going to be like that? Or the new heaven, new earth going to be like that? Yeah, we're going to find out. It's going to be good. Yeah. And wisdom and what? <laughs> you know, like, Why do you need it? what do you need to know about? Well, let me put it this way. And, and again, this is my speculation. Mm -hmm. But I think everyone makes, you ever hear people talk this way? Geez, when we get to heaven, we'll find out. I'm just going to ask God. And there's almost this idea that when we get to heaven, that all knowledge is going to be given to us and that we're going to be omniscient and all powerful yeah. and able to do all things. I'll see that in the Bible. Um, wh where's that coming from? We're going to see God more clearly. We're going to see God's perspective on things more clearly. But God alone is omniscient. So you're a drummer. You're a musician. You're a guitar player. What does it look like to spend 10,000 years honing your craft? Yeah. And, and wanting to. Mm -hmm. like, and then what if that's one of a thousand other things? I think people think heaven is boring because you just kind of get there and there's nothing to do. 
what if we're looking at it completely the wrong way? What if we should be looking at it in an Adam and Eve perspective going, fill the earth, Questions rule over you it, never thought you develop could ask it. in heaven. Guys, yeah. we're up there. Right? We're, <laughs> I don't want to play guitar in heaven. I, I, I've had your, enough of that your here. Your fingers would never hurt. They would never hurt. Yeah. I want, Steve wants the sitar. I want to <laughs> race 410 sprint cars for eternity. So, yeah. Anyway. So, so one, yeah. one thing that yeah. makes me wonder is in thinking about new heavens and new earth and creation, can we glean any knowledge about that from the earth before the fall? Because if we look at, like, can we look at Adam and Eve's life before the fall and go, you know, that's a possibility for, for this new heaven and new earth. If God is going back to the perfect way the earth was created um which they weren't all knowledgeable they weren't god mm-hmm. they had a lot of knowledge hidden from them um so is it is it possible to say that that's a possibility I guess. yeah like, not only possible know. i think it, n- next to looking to jesus himself it is the absolute best place to look for some kind of template or model as to what the new heaven and new earth will be like now there's some caveats to it Um, The caveats being um, that you do see that what happens now is going to, in some fashion, carry over into the new heaven and new earth. So we have thousands upon thousands of years of cultural and human development since Adam and Eve that doesn't go away. This is why Revelation will use Genesis 1 and 2 creation language when it pictures the new heavens and new earth, but describe it as a city instead of a garden because the Adam and Eve project has been progressing, albeit corruptly, and what is progressing will be honored. I like how 1 Corinthians 3 puts it, that like our works that we do will be purified. And so that those who build with gold and costly stones, to use the metaphor, who have built well, that will be seen and and last in the new heavens and earth, but that which we've built, which is corrupt and of straw and chaff, is going to be burned up. So so there are some caveats to it, um, but... Uh, just kind of a gut level. Yeah. Adam and Eve are the model. Absolutely. Yeah. My, my hope is that it is. Yeah. Is it the naked thing here, Kent, that, yeah. that you're really hoping for most or what is no. it? <laughs> no, please. Uh, <laughs> no. It, uh, so going back to hope, right? The hope is that. I got like no laughter from you guys on that. That is like, I gave a little, just a picture. He had a little wheeze over here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <man. laughs> I was, I was putting a bait in the water there. It's just kind of like swam on by that one. Yeah. You're right. So my hope is that heaven is exactly the way it's foretold. That's it. And I, I always kind of go, why do people try to worry so much about what heaven's going to be like when we can't figure out this? No doubt, right? You know what I mean? Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's try to figure out this. And, you know, God... God's got it, and, <laughs> and I hope that it is the way it is foretold. And if God doesn't want to carry over, yeah, does it up the ante of what we do right now? You, you know, right. going, oh, I was like, like that. That's like what I've developed and to start with. You know, I mean, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of gross. Yeah, you know? yeah. Our charge and duty from God wasn't to figure out the next life; it was to fill the earth and take yeah. care of it and care for people and, and rule it in God's stead. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Nowhere in there was it like. You know, figure out what's going to happen next. <laughs> yeah, get out of this thing. Just can you, can you imagine going back to image of God? If image of God is really being God's governors or His rulers in His stead, if any other king was to put a ruler in charge and their whole purpose was just get me off this island, I don't want to govern it anymore, so I'm just going to wait till I die. And then, I mean, 
you, you can't even be too happy about that. I yeah. gave you a job to do. Yeah, do it. You know? Do the job. Yeah. Yeah. So I know, I, I think you said these questions were leading somewhere. So I don't know if there was ones that you wanted to hit specifically in this episode. Uh, you're not getting that or... until one until 129. So okay. yeah, 129. Uh, we'll well, he said he no, needs one he minute did, too. No, I don't now because we just did my, we, we, we had his dad. He's, he's kind of, so now we're going to see if whatever we get for the last 10 minutes of the show gets Catch Steve all kind of like uncertain. Yeah. And, and his dad, he know, probably not. Yeah. Okay. So I just got a text from a listener, and it's it says, uh, "If if God made everything, um, what what about what about aliens, UFOs, mm -hmm. and is heaven only for humans here on this earth and our pets?" Okay, so a couple of things. Um, I don't like the term God made everything. And it's just kind of one of my challenges I give back. And thank you for texting in and asking, by the way. For example, God did not make German shepherds. That's a breed that's been made more recently in human history. God did not make, I was going to say the Sears Tower, but the Willis Tower or whatever the heck they call it now. Um, people made that. But God made the initial creation and called us to continue to build upon it. So with that... Um, if, if there are aliens and extraterrestrials out there, did God make it? You bet he did. Because when God talks about making the world, it doesn't refer specifically to earth. The term is cosmos. And when it talks about God loving the world and coming to redeem the world, like John three sixteen, for God so loved the, the Greek is cosmos that could at times apply to just planet earth, but often it replies to the entire universe. And you see Colossians and Ephesians pick up on that. So yeah, God has died. Christ has come and died. For the entire universe, or if you prefer this way of talking, the entire multiverse, um, not just us and not just humans. Oddly enough, Kelly referenced UFOs above. Mm -hmm. yeah. Huh. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, Kelly asked another question, too, uh, about, so how do the scrolls affirm or repudiate Gnosticism? Well, there's been a lot of scrolls, Kelly, written through human history. Uh, you're going to have to be a little more specific on this one, because I don't know what scrolls you're talking about here. Yeah. Did see. Um, well, Dead Sea Scrolls have nothing to do with Gnosticism. If that's thanks for bringing that up, Steve. Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, if anything, um, uh, uh, affirm um, the Old Testament, mm -hmm. and uh, the, the Dead Sea community, the Essenes, were not Gnostics. So that's something uh, entirely different. Yeah, she also has one above <sighs> above there. Uh, she's, she was thinking of how this last Sunday, uh, Todd brought up the seven deadly sins and comment of how we are all addicted to sin. It seems we all have an addiction. Is that true of human nature? Yeah, I'm good with that language. I mean, we're using the term addiction loosely here, but yeah, I think we're all all, all, all rooted. The Bible will use the term enslaved. Hmm. We're all enslaved to sin um, in one fashion or another. You bet. You bet. Uh, all right. Someone here from the inbox. Could you explain the relationship between our individual spirit and our soul? Are these two different things? Maybe. Sometimes the Bible will talk in a bifurcated way, and sometimes it'll talk in a trifurcated way. Hmm. And the million dollar, and, and usually it's bifurcated, by the way, you know, spirit and flesh, if you will, um, or, or body and soul. Everyone has a soul, and everyone has a body. The spirit of God is not our soul. Hmm. So when the Bible talks about being born of the spirit, it's saying that every human being has a soul already with emotions and a will and everything like that. But fundamentally, we're all dead in our inclination towards God. And there's something that needs to come alive that only God can do in you. And, and that's what Jesus is looking to do, be born of God's spirit. 
if you will. So some biblical authors might be picking up on that um, and going, is there a way that we should divide, so to speak, the soul everyone has from the born again nature and indwelling of the spirit um, of God's Holy Spirit that animates or, or starts to transform a believer? Yeah, possibly. There's not really kind of what I would call a hard line, um, like one way of thinking in Christianity um, about that beyond what I've just shared. So yeah, great question. Mm-hmm. Great question. And sorry, I can't really give you more, but uh, it's a great area of study if, if you want to see what people are saying about it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I believe there is a significance in the adding of some mm. water to the wine in the consecration for the blood of Christ for communion. Mm. Uh, what does it mean? Is this mixing divine and is this mixing divine and human aspect of Christ? Uh, why at FOF for communion when Pastor Dave does the consecration, does he not seem to add water? Yeah, thanks for asking. I'm going to assume this is from a Catholic listener. Um, I can't speak to orthodoxy, but I bet it happens there too. Um, yes, when a priest in the Catholic Church consecrates the elements, so to speak, part of the liturgy by and far, whether they all do it or not or have to, I'm not sure, but but there is this tradition that goes way back where they would add water to the wine. And it's not just diluting it down because the priest has to drink the whole thing. Budgetary constraints. Yeah, budgetary yeah. constraints, right? No, you're on the right track. It was meant to be another symbol. And the idea behind it is that when you add water to wine, the water cannot then be extracted, right? It becomes a permanent part of the wine. And it was the idea that when God came and conceived within Mary, right? And God took on human flesh. Humanity was then blended with divinity in Jesus, never to be extricated again. So when God chose to take on human flesh in Jesus, Jesus is forever human. I mean, and and think about that. God didn't just lower himself for 33 years. God lowered himself for eternity to be human, not just for a little rescue operation, if you will. So that is what's going on in that symbol. Um, why don't I do that? Or why don't you see many Protestants do that? It's not because we don't believe in the doctrine I just said. It's because the Catholic Church prides itself on symbol upon symbol upon symbol upon symbol, which are really, really kind of cool if you understand what's going on to communicate things. And Protestantism in general just has not put as much emphasis in all the detailed symbolism in the life of the church. Even the most detailed Protestant churches don't go um, nearly to the level that Orthodoxy or Roman Catholicism does. And it's just one of the practices that it could be done. Um, It's cool to be done. It would take a lot of explanation for the symbol to make sense to people. And Mm -hmm. what's the point of a symbol if it doesn't communicate something? Um, But yeah, there's no greater reason than that and why I don't do it. So plus a being not a common cup church, but like an individual cup church, it'd be like this little eyedropper and like 400 cups, you know? I mean, that, I mean, that, you that would be... just get a spray bottle and just kind of spritz <laughs> each Yeah, there you go. Tray. There you go. And, and make it go. <laughs> One thing that's interesting to that to me is that wine is already mostly water. Like, so, uh, yes, think you're of, getting the symbol of it because wine yeah. is its own thing and water is its own thing. You can't think about it from a chemistry of, point of view. Yeah. You got to think about it just from like, you know, what do you see? What do you observe? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks for asking. All Where right. We are at, we are at, at 129. <laughs> do we have time for any more or I don't know what we have left? Uh, have or is it just left? Two left that we've been kind of camping on in yeah, the inbox here. Let it rip. Huh? Let it rip. 
Let it rip. Oh, boy. All okay. right. Kent has given us the green light going a little bit more. I don't know if this is a serious question or not. Um, <laughs> maybe we should land the plane. Right? Starts, okay. Any question? Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. What is the significance that when the Lutherans came to America, it was on the ship Concordia? The universities all have that name. And on the Disney Plus Star Wars series, The Mandalorian, isn't he from the moon <laughs> Concordia of the planet Mandalore. First, that's fantastic if that's true. <laughs> I love this. And I'm willing to bet that I could name who wrote this question. But I'm not going to. <laughs> not your father? Not your dad? Not this is not dad. from your dad? No. Mandalorian fan? No, can't see that happening. This is the way. So, thank you for asking. And I, I kind of want to research this now. I did not realize that the um, Lutherans, and I think maybe you're referring to like Stefan and Walther and them, came over on a ship called Concordia. Um, didn't know that if that happens to be the case. I, I, I haven't heard that, but it doesn't mean that it's not. Would have been a case. super boring ship to come in on. <laughs> no, they had an organ. They were playing. Yeah. <laughs> playing yeah. Hymns. Yeah. So in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, which is the denomination to which we belong, or at least, um, um, you know, myself and Andrew and, and Steve belong. And, and Kent, of course, you attend with us, but you have other roots, you know, before that. Um all the universities are called Concordia. There's several undergraduate universities and a couple of seminaries, and they're all named Concordia. And, and it's maybe it has roots to the boat's name, but today I think really it's it's not so much the history as the idea that we're all in this together because Concord, that's what Concordia means. We're all in this together. So I've watched the first couple seasons of The Mandalorian. I actually really like The Mandalorian. I've not kept up with it. I didn't know he was from the moon Concordia. Um, I don't know what the writer's significance in that might be. We can guess, but uh, hey, yeah, any question. Thanks for asking. There Love it. it. And uh, I just got to kind of leave that one at that today. Okay, we got last one. Last one uh, we wanted to hit. Yeah. I'm wondering about the biblical viewpoint between joy versus happy. Mm. Um, I've read happiness is something we need to choose for ourselves each day, perhaps from delicious things or our possessions, uh, while, joy is, while joy is something else. What does the Bible say brings joy? It does not work for me. Theologically, it, it doesn't work for me. Uh, theology says it comes from doing God's will. How can anyone know that? Okay, so a few things here. A lot of questions. Thank you for asking. It, it's, it's a big topic. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to start by saying, I think that popular and homiletic Christianity, homiletic means like preaching Christianity, right? Mm. I think that popular and homiletic Christianity has made way too much of the distinction between joy and happy. You'll see preachers do this a lot and Bible studies do this a lot and YouTube videos and, and like, you know, popular books going like, God doesn't promise happiness, but God promises joy. Joy is this, happiness is that. Look, the Bible's using everyday words in its own era. And I don't see a lot of distinction between happiness and joy. There is a distinction. Um, there is a nuance between the words, but I'm not sure the Bible makes as clear a dividing line as popular Christianity likes to make in it today. I don't need to tell you what joy is. You know what joy is. It's that sense of mirth, that sense of excitement, that sense of infilling, that sense of um, just excitedness that comes when something good comes your way or satisfying comes your way. Happiness is in many ways the same thing. The reason I think popular Christianity has used a distinction between joy and happiness is to kind of go back to what Steve says earlier about the way that people misunderstand what hope is. Sometimes I think 
people make the mistake of equating happiness to whatever makes me feel good. And therefore, when the Bible talks about joy being a gift of God, they equate it to, well, if it makes me feel good, it must be of God. Well, that's not biblical at all. Truth be told, I'm not even sure that's lasting happiness (laughs) at all. But I will give an example. In Matthew chapter 5, you have what's called the Beatitudes, and they all start with things like this. Blessed are those who um, are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Greek word is makarios, and it can be translated happy. Happy are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What God is doing is reinterpreting happiness. And in many ways, maybe joy. That that happiness and joy in God's equation are often not the things that regular humanity would view as happiness and joy. And I know you're not going to find that naturally. That's why God calls us to find joy, calls us to find happiness, calls us to consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face all kinds of sufferings, trials, and tribulations, not because those are naturally joyful. They're not. It's stupid to say they are. But consider them joy because as a Christian, you see it through God's eyes in a different way and realize that even though this is miserable, brutal now, there is something here God is going to work and do in the world, in me, and there'll be an outcome at play that he invites me to see that transcends the unhappiness and lack of joy in the moment. And when you know that, and when you put on God's eyes and take his perspective, it can create joy and happiness despite it not being naturally there. That's kind of what it's about and what's going on in the Christian perspective of this. So we've gone a little bit over on our show today. Not quite an hour and a half, Kelly. Not quite an hour and a half. but (laughs) Almost, Kelly. Thank you for the mad props, Kelly. I I hear what you say. (laughs) And here's why we wanted to get through the inbox as we had it today. Questions you never thought you could ask in church is going to be off the air for just a, a, a few weeks. We're doing some reformulating of some things. And we need some time to kind of do that reformulation. And so we're not going to be on air next week. But the show is going to continue in some form. And so what that means is you can still text your questions in 24-7, 365 to 815-314-0363. Again, that's 815-314-0363. And very soon we are going to be releasing through Facebook and on podcast and everything else and through 216 The Net what is going to be coming in some of this reformulation and know that we will get to the questions that you have asked in time. It just won't be next week. So don't tune in next week at 1230 PM central time, but we will be in touch soon, hopefully very soon about when the re-release is going to happen in various forms and some other shows that we have actually in the works that we want to announce at that time as well. Hey, in the meantime, Catch the past shows. Jump on, jump on Spotify. Go to fellowshipoffaith.org. Uh, go to the FOF Plus page and search questions you never thought you can ask in church or on any podcast provider, and you can catch, catch past episodes there. Until then, keep asking questions. Please keep submitting your questions to us. Remember, God loves you. God wants a relationship with you. Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ rose again. Jesus Christ has got a plan to come again to restore all things, and that includes you. Lean into him. God bless, 
And we're going to hand it over. Steve is handing up a finger. One second, I got to say greetings to Kakinda as well, because uh, he's listening to us from Mityana, Uganda right now. Just uh, hope you're doing well. Mad shout out. Yeah, thank you, brother. Thank you for listening today. With that, we are out.